0: Psalm 51, I want to tell you and confess something to you, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon from a trending topic on Twitter, but earlier this week I was on Twitter, and I'm not, I don't post a lot on Twitter, and I definitely don't get into the Twitter debates that are generally unproductive. In fact, if you look at my Twitter feed, it will simply be, it is automatically set that when we upload the sermon for the week, it tweets it on my personal account, and I think the last 25 tweets are of my account are just, the video is up kind of tweets, and so if you're looking for an old video, that's where to go, to my Twitter account, alright? And so I don't get on there, but I do use it as a news source, a lot for sports stuff, um, a lot for news, just breaking news, it's easier to follow on that. And I was on there earlier this week, went over in the sidebar where it tells me trending topics currently. What's currently trending? Now sometimes you'll see stuff on there, I don't have a clue what it is, I don't care what it is, I just ignore it. But this week, knowing what I was preaching on, I was interested to see that one of the top trending topics on Twitter, in fact, when I looked at it, I think it was number 4. Y'all you know, realize what all that means, right? It was being mentioned the fourth most of anything else on Twitter currently at this moment, and the word was Bathsheba. Now, that's not a common word, right? It's a pretty specific moment in history when I see Bathsheba and I clicked on that wondering if there was some new celebrity I did not know about going by the name of Bathsheba or if there was some new documentary coming out, what was happening, and no, it was just a Twitter debate about which we do not have the time nor the platform in this moment to discuss the debate that was ongoing, but it was about the incident between David and Bathsheba. Thousands of years later, Psalm 51 is one of the most well-known, humbling, convicting, encouraging, and challenging psalms there is challenging because it's hard to discuss or explain any better than the psalm is already written in fact in many ways i could simply read psalm 51 say amen and we could leave please don't amen that all right we are going to talk about it for a moment but it is hard to explain Charles Spurgeon said this about this psalm. Such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and exhaled again in devotion, but commented on? Ah! Where is he who having attempted it can do other than blush at his defeat? Basically says, if you try to explain this, you fall short. That's always a good way to start a sermon, right? That this isn't going to be a successful explanation. But we're going to try today to interpret what this psalm written 3,000 years ago has to say to us. The background's given to us before the psalm even begins in the introductory note. It says, For the choir director, this is a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. By the way, those words there, when he had gone, when Nathan had come to David, after David had come to Bathsheba, they're the exact same word, and the emphasis is that David confronted, was confronted by Nathan about the Bathsheba incident. Now, we're not going to go fully into it because we can do a whole sermon, and I have done whole sermons on David and Bathsheba, but you know the background here if you grew up in church. If not, here are the very basics. David had consolidated his power at this time, was king of Israel. And when it was time to go out to war, David, a warrior king, a conquering king, some consider the greatest warrior of the Old Testament as a leader for sure, as he's going out to battle, his troops are, he decides to stay home. That's the first mistake. All warring kings went with their people. And so for some reason, he stayed home. While he's staying home, it just so happens that he's in a place where it just so happens a young lady is bathing on the roof next door and he looks a little too long, he thinks a little too much, and he compels her to himself. After sinning with her and it resulting in a pregnancy, he tries to bring her husband home so that he can blame the husband for the pregnancy. The husband is honorable and will not do that. And so David devises another plan and he sends the husband on the front line and gives instructions to the troops. And when Uriah goes to the front line, everyone is to withdraw. It is a death sentence for him. We'll detail in the story Do you remember who it was that took the note to the commander of what the troops were supposed to do to Uriah? It was Uriah. Whatever you call the sexual sin of David and the resulting murder of the husband of the woman with whom he sexually sinned with, it is one of the most heinous, offensive, repugnant, acts of sin recorded in Scripture. In fact, it may be the most. Scripture tells us that for several months, David tried to live as if it did not happen. That he attempted to go through everything as if this was not something that happened. And at some point, a prophet of God comes to David. Now, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Keep your finger on Psalm 51 if you're there. In chapter 12, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he arrived, he said to him, and he tells this parable. About two men, one that had a bunch of sheep and one that had one, and he prized the sheep and he loved the sheep and he cared for the sheep. And the man that had all the sheep that he could imagine went and stole the one, compelled the one that had only one to give it to him. And he said, David, how would you feel about that? And David is infuriated. That's the word that my translation of the Bible, the one that we use, Christian Standard Bible says in chapter 12, verse 5, he was infuriated. And he says, the man who did this deserves to die. And after David, infuriated, says that to the prophet, verse 7, this will be up on the screen, says to David, you are the man. That's not said in a positive way. I know in our day and time, that's a positive thing sometimes. you the man. Like, you know, when Tiger Woods would tee off back before he had broken legs and and backs, and would stripe it 325 down the middle. They would yell, You the man! That's not what the prophet is doing here. It is, You're that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. It goes on. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. He says, remember that whole business with Saul? I anointed you. I picked you. You were the one that was supposed to do it. I gave you into him. I gave you everything you needed. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, the combined "...kingdoms were yours, and if that wasn't enough, David, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with Ammonite sword. Now therefore the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hethite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you." From your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. And he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret. I'll do this in daylight. Uh Uh-oh. Your sin has found you out. And verse 13 and 14 give us almost, from the perspective of what happened, the consequences, the reality of the depth of sin, 13 and 14 almost seem too short and too easy. Because verse 13 says, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied, And the Lord has taken it away, David. You're not going to die. Here's why I love Psalm 51. He even got to the main text yet. Here's what I love about Psalm 51. It fills in the blanks on what David meant when he said, I have sinned against the Lord, and gives us perspective on what he felt. And so when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered, this is what he wrote. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right. When you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity and inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all of my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from Your presence or take Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of Your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious Your ways and sinners will return to You. Save me from the guilt of the bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart to God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then delight in the righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings and bulls will be offered on your altar. Three steps that happen here, and this is what I want you to understand and realize. What we have in this passage is a playbook, a guide for us when we really mess up. And here's what I want to tell you. At some point in your life, even if you are a believer, you have messed up, you will mess up. This is a God book when we really mess up, but it's more than that. Because it's a continual reminder of our need for daily confession and request for forgiveness from the Lord. Three things that we see in this passage that are for us to do. And the first is this, when it comes to our sin, we must come clean. We need to recognize, first of all, that sin is serious. It is offensive. If you notice in this passage, there are multiple examples that David uses about sin. He calls it inequity in different places. Transgression, evil. Even in those first couple of verses, he talks about blotting out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, cleanse me from my sin. Those are three different words for sin that kind of encapsulate the whole understanding. The word rebellion there means willful, self-assertance, defiance of God. It is defiantly walking away. It is a military man walking away in the middle of a fight and joining the enemy. The word guilt there means to wander off the path that is set before you. It is to stop, stay in the lane that is prescribed for you. The word sin is the classic missing the mark. But it's not just, oops, I missed. It is willfully and deliberately choosing to aim in a place differently than what God had said. And so there are multiple uses of different words for sin. And it encapsulates this idea that all of us have gone astray. All of us have chosen our own way. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the reality is, no matter if it's the biggest sin or the smallest sin, according to our own mind, every one of them is offensive to a holy God. And all of us must recognize that sin is a serious problem in the world and in our lives. Most of us have no problem recognizing it in the world. Because bad people and bad things being done are what those people on TV or on Twitter or our neighbors are doing. It's not us. Paul David Tripp is famous for saying that the greatest lawyer in the world may be our inner defense attorney that fights to rationalize our own sin. And yet we need to realize that sin is an open defiance against God. That it defies Him. Verse 4 tells us that, right? It says that David looked at Him and says, Against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, the reality is he is not denying the consequences or the impact of his sin on others. Obviously Bathsheba was impacted by this. She lost a child in the midst of this in birth. Obviously Uriah is involved in this. He lost his life. The point is that my sin ultimately is a defiance of you, God. And because of that, I recognize that you on you alone are where my sin lies. And any time we step out of the path that God has prescribed for us, any time that we intentionally miss the mark in our lives of what sin would have us to do instead of what God would have us to do, any time we willfully desert God's plan and join the enemy's plan through our life, through our words, through our thoughts, through our actions, any time we're doing that, we are defying God and we are sinning against a holy, almighty God. It defies God, and it destroys us. Sin stains and scars our soul. In the English translation, we don't get the desperation that David's expressing right from the top. When he says, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin, those are three very picturesque words. The word blot out means to obliterate. It means to wipe it clean. It means to completely take it away. There are multiple times in Scripture when this blot, this word, is used, but perhaps the one that speaks most to this particular instance happens in the book of Genesis when God is talking about what He's going to do to eradicate the evil on the earth at that time and He is going to send a flood to blot them out. To wipe them away. To destroy them. Unfortunately, over the last several years, in this part of the country, we've seen several examples of floods, hurricanes south of us, tornadoes in our area, where just entire neighborhoods or areas are blotted out. David's okay, like, I need this completely removed from me. The second word there is washing, and it literally is washing of clothes. Now, again, this is something my generation doesn't appreciate as much because our understanding of washing clothes is dumping a pod into a place and throwing the clothes in there and hitting start. I hate doing laundry. i got to push the button and put the clothes in there. And then... When it's over, I've got to pick it up and put it in another machine and push a button and then take them out. But not that long ago, that's not how clothes were washed. Anybody here ever used a washboard? The real washer, right? Back in the day that David was, the way they would wash their clothes is they would literally beat them on rocks after they had soaked them, to try to get anything off of them. They would hit them and pummel them until the stuff was knocked out of them. They didn't have any OxyClean, by the way. No Tide Pods to eat or wash with. Foolishness. It was hard work and it was violent And David says, Wash me. Scrub me. Get me clean. last word is cleanse. And that's a ritual ceremonial washing for religious use. David recognizes that what he's done, he wants to be completely wiped away. But God says, by the way, in there, I'm going to forgive you. We'll talk about forgiveness in a minute. But the consequences of your sin are still going to be there. And here's the truth. Even after we have been saved, even after we have been forgiven, we must come to understand that we will still live with the consequences of our sins at times. If you read on in 2 Samuel, the prophecy that his family is going to impact it, it happens quickly, and it happens in major ways. Brothers and sisters against each other's. A son that has a coup of David and openly takes David David's wives at his own in public. And so while David is forgiven, the consequences are there because it scars us. It impacts us. Sin is serious business. Not only does it do that, it creates memories that stay. And this is where sometimes people go, wait, 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 Pastor. God says He's going to remove my sins as far as the east is from the west. He says that He is going to put them into the sea of forgetfulness. Nobody will remember if you read those passages, who is it that will remember them no more? God. You know why? Because God can forget. We don't. In fact, we have a term that's a medical condition for people that forget things. Like if they forget everything, it's the storyline of every show that needs something to make people interested again. They get amnesia and they can't remember. And it's actually good, by the way, that you can remember some of your sin. And here's why. Two or three things. First of all, if we could forget our sins, then how could we testify to the goodness of God in our lives? You know why I'm thankful for the Lord? It's because I understand what I was, what I am without Him to this day. And I am a man in need of a Savior now, here, right in this moment. If we could forget our sins, we wouldn't be warned about doing stuff again. Several years ago now, I found some thing about it was raining outside and we had steaks to cook and I needed to cook the steaks. And I found online Alton Brown's cast iron skillet steak cooking. So that's what I was going to do. First thing you have to do is preheat the cast iron skillet in a 500-degree oven. Take it out, sizzle the steak in it, put it back in the oven. About eight minutes, it's done. Your house is smoky completely, and it tastes awesome. I put the cast-iron skillet in, cranked it up to 500 degrees in the oven, got ready to put that steak on, got everything laid out, got it seasoned, reached in, and grabbed that cast-iron skillet without... Uh, anything on my hand i've used that method since then you know what i have not done since then i have not reached in and grabbed the skillet without anything on my hand since that day you know why because it hurt like a lot for a long time and there have been times, honestly, when I've opened it, you just get caught in stuff and you put your hand and you get ready to go, no, nope, mm-mm. Not doing that again. Don't need to see my own flesh withering off my. I don't need that. Doesn't make the steak any better, I can tell you that. We need to realize the reason we don't want to sin, <laughs> it's like Paul said: if God's grace makes our sin forgiven and we give testimony to him why wouldn't we just sin all the more and he says no way because it scars us it stains us and it makes memories in our minds it is serious business our sin is comprehensive it is pervasive it harms us deeply it controls us quickly and it devastates us painfully David doesn't shy away from that. In fact, when it says come clean, it means not just recognizing the reality and the seriousness of our sin, but we confess it and we agree with him about it in honesty and humility and we surrender to whatever he wants to do. David says, it is against you that I have sinned. I have messed up. Blot out my transgression. Blot out my iniquity. I was sinful from my birth. It's pervasive in me. It's part of our history. It's part of who we are. All of us are born with a nature for sin and every one of us choose to do it. We are sinners in the need of grace on a daily basis. We are not better than human beings because other beings because Jesus has saved us. Others are not saved, are not worse than us in our sin nature. It's just that Jesus has done something miraculous in our life. You know the old phrase, right? There, but by the grace of God, go I. Can I just be honest? This this isn't even in my notes. It's just here. We need a whole lot more of that attitude in Christianity in America in 2022. We've gotten real good at acting like everybody else but us are terrible sinners and we finally got it figured out. We need a whole lot more of that humility that says, without the grace of Jesus Christ, I'm nothing. David comes to him and he confesses and he asks for forgiveness and he basically says, God, whatever you decide is right. If you want to kill me, remember David had just said this. Remember back in the story, what should be done to that man, Nathan? Nathan says, what do you think of that man? And David says, that guy ought to be killed. And basically David is saying, if you want to kill me, go for it because it would be right. We have to get to a place in our lives, in our churches, in our personal lives where we do not care about our reputation. We do not care about losing the security of something in our life. We do not care about our favorite sin being broken. But we are just coming before the Lord and saying, this is who I am. This is what I have done. God, I lay it before you, and whatever you decide is good. If you take stuff away, that is your judgment. It is right for you. David doesn't dispute God when God says, David, I'm going to forgive you, but there are consequences to your sin. And hopefully your sin isn't as blatant and obvious as David's. But all of us in this room have areas of our lives that we have allowed ourselves to walk away from the Lord, or we have intentionally done so. And we need to confess that to the Lord. And once we've come clean about who we are and what we've done, we pray for renewal. David, in this passage of Scripture, he says, create in me a new heart. A clean heart. By the way, the word used for create here is a word in Scripture That is only used with God as the subject. He is the only one able to do this work. And it is the word that is used at the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. And David says, I need you to restore, renew, recreate my Now the heart there is not literally the heart. I know I'm pointing my heart, but that's what they referred to, the seat of emotions, the seat of the will, the very acts of what we do. He's saying, I need a new being inside. I need to be recreated. I need to be reborn. He asks for renewal. He asks God to recreate His heart. He asks God to reestablish His joy. Restore the joy of your salvation Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. God, make me joyful again. Help me to understand this. We know from other places in scripture that David basically says during this year that he is, these months, this year that he was going before Nathan confronted him, that what happened in his life is that he was withering away inside. That it was eating at him at every level of his being. And he is saying, God, I've gotta have my joy back. Notice he doesn't say my joy. He says the joy of your salvation. That prayer for renewal is God, create a new heart in me. God, reestablish joy within me. And it's also God, redirect my purpose. That little part at the end in verse 12 when he says, restore the joy of your salvation and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Lord, help me to do what I am supposed to do for you. Verse 13 says, I'll teach the rebellious. (coughs) when you open my lips, I want to worship You. I want to walk with You. I want to witness for You. I want to worship You. He says, Lord, just don't take Your presence away from me because without Your presence, I am not fully alive. After You come clean and You lay it out on the line, You say, God, I pray that You will renew my heart, that You will restore my joy, and Lord, that You will redirect my purpose. Help me to get back into doing what I'm supposed to do. And here's the last thing that we do after we come clean, after we've prayed for renewal, we just trust in God's grace and mercy. I love how this whole Psalm 51 starts because it's bleak at the beginning of it for the most part, except for the first part of verse 1 that says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. The most remarkable thing about our God is that He is completely holy, completely righteous, and He could blot us out and never more to be, forevermore, if He wanted, and He would have full authority and judgment would be right. And yet, He chooses to give us what we do not deserve, which is life eternal with Him for those that accept what His Son did on the cross. And He chooses not to punish us for what we deserve to be punished for. He shows us grace and mercy. Compassionate love for us is amazing. Psalm 51 reminds us that's who He is. David prays, Lord, out of that goodness, out of that mercy. Forgive me. He also prays, by the way, for a limited fallout for his personal sin because David knew the impacts that would come. Don't punish Jerusalem for me. Lord, don't destroy the people because of my sin. And he trusts in the grace and mercy of God. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Here's what I do know, that Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we have a God that is gracious and loving, merciful. In fact, Exodus 34, 6 is one of the most quoted, if not the most quoted verse in the entire Old Testament, and it basically just gives a description of God. And yes, in parts of Scripture it tells us that he is holy, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is other than us, but in Psalm thirty four I mean in Exodus thirty four six it tells us that He is gracious and patient and loves us beyond compare. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me just tell you this, that without Jesus, there is no hope. It doesn't take someone with a brilliant mind to see that the world in which we are a part is filled with evil and sin. And Scripture explains to us that that is because it is filled with people who have a nature of sin and evil within them. And the only hope, the only solution for that is Jesus. God demonstrated His own love for us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our sin, He sent Jesus Christ to save us. He sent Him to save us from our sins. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and He is offering salvation to you. If you're here today and guilt racks your brain and shame is a part of who you are and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm not saying that He will take away all the consequences of the choices that you have made, but I can guarantee you this, that Scripture teaches and I believe that He can wipe away the eternal condemnation for your sin and give you a home in heaven with Him and walk with you for the rest of your days on this earth. And today may be the day that you need to do that for the first time. I'm not asking if you've walked an aisle before. I'm not asking if you've been part of a church or a denomination before. I'm asking, do you have a relationship with Jesus where you've accepted the forgiveness, where you have come clean about your sin, you have asked Him to forgive you and to recreate you and to remake you, and you have been saved. Maybe you're here and you've done that. Are there familiar sins in your life or just sin is is pervasive? Maybe sexual sin has grabbed your hearts, in person or online. Perhaps you're here and envy or anger or jealousy is just a part of what goes on in your life. Perhaps you're here and gossip. And criticism is your natural language. And today you need to confess those things. Come clean before God. You know, Scripture, by the way, when it's listing all of the different sins, it puts things like gossip and undue criticism in the same category as murder. So there's no small sins in our lives. We need to come clean with them because God works effectively through people who are regularly confessing and owning up to their sin and bringing them to Him for forgiveness. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And I don't know how you need to respond. If you're here and you'd like to talk about being saved, I'll be up here. Noah will be up here. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're here today, you just need to come pray at the front, pray at the altar. Not worry about what anybody else thinks. Not worry about, well, if I go up there, they're going to wonder what I'm going up there about. If that's on your mind, you're not at the place you need to be with the Lord. For me, one of the ways God often communicates, one of the reasons I love the Psalms, the way that God communicates to me is through music and through the lyrics and through what is kind of modern day poetry. When I was thinking about this and how gracious it is that God has saved us, there's a song that's fairly new, fairly recent. It just starts, the whole song starts, Lord, I confess that I've been a criminal. I've stolen your breath and i sang my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I bought on my own. I confess I've been a prodigal, made for your house, but I walked my own roads. The chorus of that song describes what happens when Jesus saves us. It says, These scarlet sins, these things of mine, this reality of who I am, had a crimson cost, the blood of Jesus, and you nailed my debt to that old rugged cross. But here's the shouting part. Because you remember at the very beginning of what David says here, he asked God to blot out his sin, his rebellion. That word blot literally means a clean slate. means starting over. Me all new. And I love this line. It says, an empty slate at the empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. My prayer is for us that we will be people who will consistently remember how good God has been to us and that that would bring us to Him again and again. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. I was reminded again, another one, a little older. We sang just a few minutes ago, but we close with these words. O to grace how great a debtor, Daily I'm constrained to be. Let Thy goodness like a fetter, like a manacle, like a shackle, Lord, let Your goodness be what binds my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it. For Thy presence, Thy courts above. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can bring our sin to You. Lord, it is real and it is serious. And Lord, it is something that we can do absolutely nothing about. And so Lord, today, I am just thankful that Your goodness and Your mercy, Lord, Your kindness leads us to have the ability to repent. And Lord, there are people in this room today that need to repent, that need to confess, that need to come clean with what's going on in their lives. Lord, I need to come clean. I need to repent. I need to confess. And Lord, don't ever let me get past the point of understanding my need for forgiveness because I am a man who is a sinner and in need of Your forgiveness. Here and now. Lord, I'm thankful for the cross where You paid my debt. I'm thankful for the tomb where You won the victory. I'm thankful that You have given me that empty slate at the empty grave. And Lord, I have been made new and born again. But Lord, I pray that You will give me the strength on a daily basis to combat the evil and the sin in my own heart that is still there. Lord, I'm thankful. That I'm not who I was. But Lord, I'm praying that You will continue to guide me to become the person that You want me to be. And I look forward to the day, Lord, when You will save me and take me home and make me completely new. And in this place today, Lord, I pray, if there are those that need to accept You as their Savior, Lord, that now would be the time. They would come and ask and find out. Lord, if there are those that need to be baptized to demonstrate what You have done in their life, the goodness in their life, Lord, I pray that they would come. If there are those that need to come and just pray or have a conversation, Lord, we pray that in this moment that we respond like David did when he was shown his own sin. He just simply confessed. He owned it. He came clean. He asked for forgiveness. He asked for renewal. And He went on to work. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.